Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Before I begin today, I wanted to ask a question of the audience. This is our seventh show today, and we've had some incredible guests on Inside the Hive including Bob Iger, Conan O'Brien, Patty Jenkins, and many more. But I wanted to ask you, the listener, who else you'd like to hear from in the future and topics you'd love to hear about. The best way to contact us and let us know is on Twitter, using either my Twitter handle, at Nick Bilton, that's N-I-C-K-B-I-L-T-O-N, or The Highs, which is at VF Hive. Please let us know anything you'd like to hear about. We'd love to hear from you. Now, on to my guest today, Kara Swisher started covering tech when I was getting into trouble in middle school and has been a force of nature ever since. She's broken hundreds of stories on some of the biggest companies in the industry. She's also become known for her incredible interviews on stage at the All Things D conference, which later became the Recode conference. There, sitting in those big red chairs, Kara has interviewed some of the biggest names in the industry, from Steve Jobs to Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, and also politicians like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. As I'm sitting here today, I'm actually sitting in one of those iconic red chairs, which is actually pretty comfortable. And Kara is about to tell me some of her deepest, darkest secrets about covering this industry and what happens backstage with some of these abrasive and overly confident personalities. Kara, thank yes. you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Nicholas. What does it feel like to be on the other side of the table? Oh, I'm fine. Have, I'm going to control this entire process anyway. Of course you are. Of course you are. How long have you <laughs> I'm been? I'm top. What's that? I'm a top. I, what, we're what in does San that Francisco. Mean? Oh, oh that's my right. God. Oh, here we go. We're, go. we're already, we just started. <laughs> we're already in the gays. The only gay in the village. The only gay in the village. You can um, be gay. You could what? easily be gay. You could easily be you say gay. That, you said that to everyone. No, no, you? you particularly could yeah, be gay. You said gay. that. Well, I it's your hair once, and your glasses. But, I remember once know. we we had, uh, I came over to your house for dinner and I was wearing a, uh, like a vest, uh, like a, a button down, like, because yeah, it was good. cold. And you're like, you look gay. You could be. I was be. like, what? Every you, guy you that You know wore- what? It's confusing now. A lot of straight guys are so, you know, they look great. They look great. They didn't used to. And that concludes like our shorts. podcast. Okay. <laughs> no, but it's true. You were very styling. You're very, I didn't say that straight guys can't be styled. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to insult straight No, it's straight okay. Men. You're, not, you're not insulting. Sorry to insult straight white men because they can't ever get a break in this world. That's very funny. Um, speaking of straight white men. Yeah. So you, how long have you been doing this? Like Forever. how long, how, how many years have you been covering? Mm, the early 90s. Early 90s. Do you, and so what was your first? AOL. And, um, they were in Washington when I was at the Washington Post. And you were you in Washington yeah, also? Yeah, I worked for the Washington Post. I started off the city paper with Jack Schaefer. And um, before that, I went to Columbia and I went to Georgetown. So so did you know uh, back then you wanted to cover tech? No, I was covering business, just general business. I covered retail for many years, for seven years. Uh, and I got into, you know, all kinds of things around closings. Well, you know, it's interesting because it links to it because I, I wrote a lot about the decimation of old businesses by new ones. In, th- in that case, it was sort of old department stores in Washington decimated by Walmart and, and things like that. So I was, I was always writing about disruption, essentially, but it was retail. And, it was, and retail underwent an enormous change, and that was before Amazon entered the picture. And so when you were covering AOL back then, and I know you probably have a thousand stories, mm-hmm. um, was there a point where you were like, these people are just jerks? 
people in the internet? In the no, internet? the internet. I mean, we, we look at the way they, they act oh. today. Like, <laughs> was there, was it like that back then? Um, they were younger, younger jerks, I guess. I don't know. They didn't have the money and their, their certainty that they have now. They have, you know, now they get licked up and down all day by people telling them how smart they are. Licked so that down. tense, they do. Come on, you know, it's like yeah. Hollywood. It's the yeah. same thing. And so they get a certain, not every one of them, of course, but, you know, a lot of them certainly, when you meet them before they're billionaires, it's a lot better insight into their personality than after. Because afterwards, you know, when the when you get on the planes and the money and the aren't you the smartest person in the world? People tend to, uh, that tends to affect people. So when you, so you were covering AOL and then you, um, uh, for the post, for the post. And then you had, I I remember you telling me at one point you had an option of, of staying in journalism and newspapers or going off and starting your own thing. Well, no, no, no. What I was, I was at the Washington post and I was covering AOL and the nascent internet. It wasn't even called that. It was called online services at the time. And so I loved it. I really loved it. I love business coverage. I, I had read Barbarians of the Gate and was quite uh, struck by how they re- – that, that was a great book. That was a seminal book for me. And, and Connie Brock was another person I read a lot. Um, she wrote uh, uh, Predator's Ball, which mm-hmm. I thought – I was fascinated by all the um, – all those buyout guys and stuff. And so I, um, I got really interested in business. And so I wanted to stay in business. And at the Washington Post, the game was the White House. And so I was moving up. I had I'd caused quite a stir there in my retail coverage, actually, because there was a lot of bankruptcies. And I wrote about a family that was breaking apart, a retail billionaires. And so I was on my way to that. You know? And I thought, I just that's where people go at the Washington Post. That's where you end up. You start in Metro, you end up covering the White House, whatever, if you're good. Um, and I didn't want to cover politics. I had no interest in politics. And Although so now that, I do, right, obviously. Now you, now you do, obviously, which we'll get yeah. to. But so I got there and I covered AOL and I got super interested in digital issues, including for the business of newspapers. And I was very worried once I started covering it about what would happen to newspapers. I think I did see that turn before a lot of other people do. And that was what led you to decide to to go and do the, the whole internet thing? No, yeah, I covered the internet for a long time. I didn't go and do it for a long yeah. time. I covered it for the Post and then I moved to the Wall Street Journal. Walt Mossberg attracted me to the... Um, to work there because they didn't have anybody covering the internet. Um, and I was, I think, the first person covering it. There were some people at their online services that covered small companies like Yahoo at the time. And I don't even think Yahoo was that big. Oh, anyway, Netscape IPO happened in the mid-90s. And so I, I, AOL was the, had the hegemony at the time. If people forget that, but they were the only popular online service. Amazon had just Oath, started. you mean what, Oath? Oath? <laughs> don't even talk about it. <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, so anyway, I started covering that, and I didn't go to do my own business for many, many years. I covered the Internet for the Wall Street Journal as the as their Internet reporter, and then I had a column, and, and I stayed in newspapers for a very long time. And you, But you, you have no regret of ever leaving? No. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was thrilled. I was thrilled to get out. So one of the things that you have, have become kind of the master of mm-hmm. um, as I sit in a red chair in mm-hmm. the Recode offices. You look offices, good. Thanks, good against your very against nice my, black shirt. my sweater vest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is is the interview? Can you tell us a little bit about how you approach these yeah. interviews? What, who the the first big one was? Were you, was there ever a point where you were terrified before you went? I was on stage? bad. I was actually bad. You know, Walt was sort of the avuncular good one, and he was and he pointed. He could be very pointed in interviews too. And so, I, in the beginning of we started this All Things Digital conference where we that's we started to do the big interviews. You know, with Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and and many 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 others over the years. Uh, it's really kind of an astonishing body of interviews when you start to oh, look completely. at it over 15 yeah, yeah. years. Um, it's it's all of them. And I think historically it'll be incredibly important someday, after long after I'm dead. Um, but um, I, I was bad at it. I was kind of, um, I don't want to use a term like bitchy for women, but I was I was a little too sharp. Um, I was a little too not listening, not so much listening, but I was 
I, I was very, I would, again, again, I wouldn't want to use this word, but I was a little brittle in the interviews, and I wasn't having a conversation when I initially started. And I, and I decided to make myself better at it and, and take advantage of my own skills, which is I'm, I'm somewhat funny and pointed. Um, I, I don't take what people say and believe it initially, and then I say out loud what people are thinking. Um, so I, over the years, I've gotten, a, I think, very good. And and but at the beginning, I was just awful. Just did, awful. did you? What, what was the approach that you took to get better? Did you look at other people that are good interviewers? Did you? What was the thing that you did? Because I mean, I watch you on stage now. You know, with with Hillary and mm-hmm. Kamala and all these people, and and it's like you're just yeah. A pro. Yeah, exactly. I don't prepare as much as people think I would. Um, I think people over-prepare for interviews. And, I, you know, I, I read widely. I know what's going on. I, I'm very aware of what the people I'm interviewing are doing. But I don't spend a lot of time preparing. I, I know it sounds crazy, um, but I, I want to be surprised by people. I do know a lot about them. I'm not, like, stupid. But a lot of people prepare interviews. I was just talking to someone the other day who had just, like, a long list. And I thought, you're never going to get an interview done if you're just not going into it like a conversation. And I remember that movie, um, well, what was it? Dinner, My Dinner with Andre. I was really struck by that. When they just had a conversation, I don't know if you remember that movie. They, I don't remember. Fantastic movie where, uh, I think it was Wallace Shawn. I can't, I'm blanking on who it was, but it was a fantastic movie about just a conversation. And then where I really, this was before I started doing interviews, where I remember thinking about it a lot was the guy who wrote um, Spencer, the guy who did Swimming to Cambodia. Um, he killed himself. It was a sad, tragic story of this guy. But he did a um, uh, a show at the Kennedy Center. I'm a huge theater fan, an enormous theater fan. And and I wrote a column for the Washington Post on theater and a long time ago. And he did a show where he all he did was pull people out of the audience because hmm. um, he said everybody was interesting. It was he had no preparation and he just picked someone. And I don't think it was fixed or anything like that. He just literally picked someone out and of the just audience, interviewed them, and just interviewed them. Wow. And it was so riveting because, like, one night this guy had a brain tumor. Just, everybody's interesting. Everyone has a story. And I'll, I'll never forget Spalding Gray. That's who did it. Um, and it was – he was an actor. He, he was a playwright. And um, it was an astonishing display to me that everybody's narrative can be riveting and you just don't – it's the interviewer to bring it out. And and I, I went six or seven times because you never knew what you were going to get. And everybody's – and he was such a skilled interviewer about getting people to talk about themselves. And, you know, now in today's internet age, everyone never shuts up about themselves. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're in a whole different thing. But he got very insightful, interesting uh, human reactions from people. That, that The reason it was so effective is it was human and it made you feel like – I'd never been to group therapy, but I, people who have gone to it say, like, you begin to, you know, you have a problem, you're sad about this, a romance gone wrong, whatever, and you think you're the only one that experiences it. And I think what's really interesting is the people that can really bring out the fact that we're all the same, have the same worries and agonies and things like that, and yet we all have a unique story to tell uh, when we're doing it. And so I was, I remember, I think about that that all the time when I do interviews, like how he he was skillfully did that. So when you think about think back of all the interviews, do you have a good story of 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 like one of the oh all of, one them. of your, give us give us a really good fun story from well from one of your you know interviews. there's the, there's the famous ones like the Zuckerberg sweating one and yeah. I think I've told that before I mean that he I did not expect that to happen I was aware that he had issues around anxiety attacks and I was aware that he sometimes fainted that's what someone had, someone at Facebook had told me in the early days he had. Uh, and his, I think his parents told me, something like that. But he had anxiety attacks, obviously. So I wasn't prepared for that. And what was interesting is the reaction from people. We had one person who thought we caused it and created 
that sweating. He had a sweating uh, incident. Yeah. Could you tell people just the, for yeah, those? Yeah, we were interviewing him talking about privacy. And these are questions he had answered before. Yeah. So it wasn't as if it was coming out of left field. They had a big privacy issues for a while there. They had, people forget Facebook was often in crisis um, in the oh, early it was days. In, it, was, it was the Uber of, no, not of, Uber. of 10 <laughs> no, years not ago. Uber, no, no, but it had, there was Yes, there was privacy. constant crisis. Issue after yeah. issue after yeah. issue. Yeah, it was never boob grabbing, let's just say. <laughs> but it was, you know, privacy issues were around it. All, all kinds of stupid things that would happen at a startup. And um, I just wouldn't want to compare Mark to yeah. Travis Cowley. Mark's yeah. a lovely guy. Um, uh, so uh, so anyway, so they um, they had all these uh, he, he had all these issues. He'd answered these questions before, and then Walt was really grilling him on it. And he said, and he had been nervous before the interview. We had had lunch, and he was super nervous. And that movie was coming out, The Social Network, and he felt terrible because he was like, "This is not me." And I was like, "No, that person talks too much." You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and and so um, it was interesting. He was in a nervous state, I guess. Around he hadn't yet gotten used to his fame. So he so, comes up on stage, sits and he down, sits down, wearing a hoodie, wearing a hoodie, and he has a panic attack, or what it seemed to be a panic. That's what I think it was. Um, and he was getting more and more nervous. And he started sweating like Tom Cruise in that Mission Impossible movie or, or broadcast news, Albert Brooks. Remember when he sweat? Like yep. it was a flop sweat, essentially. And so it was really awkward. And Walt couldn't see it because he was, I was in the middle. You know, I always seat myself. Whenever we're interviewing a man, I seat myself in the middle because they, they used to tend to talk to Walt and over me. It was mm. bad. And I'd be like, I'm sitting here, so I'm in their visual line of sight. And so I don't have to do it as much anymore, but it's definitely a thing. Men talk to men. Like, it was interesting. And so he started sweating, and I noticed it, and he had this bead of sweat that was going down his face, hitting the chin, that kind of thing. It was so cinematic. And I was I was worried he was going to faint because he started to get white and flushed, and um, I was just worried about that, about him. And so we I called it out. He, everyone was pretending it wasn't happening. And you could see Sheryl Sandberg turning white in the front row and Elliot Trigg and all the people. And they were like, ah, this is just as everyone saw it was happening. And so instead of like pretending it wasn't happening, I'm like, you got, you're sweating a lot there. Like, you got to take off that hoodie. And thankfully, he had a little symbol inside the hoodie that was um, odd. And, I, and at the time, that Tom Cruise movie was coming out. And I said, ah, oh, the Illuminati. You know, Tom Cruise, I'm sorry, Tom Hanks movie. And and he was, and I made the a joke. The Da Vinci Code. Yeah, Da Vinci Code. And I made a joke and calmed him down. And I think we gave him a minute. And then we continued the interview. But I felt like... My big worry was that he was going to faint and I would have to give him CPR in front of all these people. And I thought the Kara's Wisher brand is not going to be good if someone falls at their feet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I yeah. didn't want to do and yeah, I didn't want to lean over him. Or he, th- th- Everything went through my head at the time. And I was like, oh, my God, this could be really bad if he has something happens. Um, and he, you know, anyway, so it was it was an interesting it was interesting. Did, how was he after the fact? He was lovely. He was very he wrote us a lovely note because a lot of people, interestingly, only one person thought we were being mean and wrote me one of these like angry, misspelled notes. Um, but um, That was Cheryl Sam. No, right? it wasn't. No, she was lovely. She's always lovely. Joking, Cheryl Sam never sends a yeah. non-polite note. Even when she's yelling at you, it's polite. Um, it, it, he wrote a lovely note and said, thank you. A lot of people thought I was maternal because mm-hmm. I was like, calm No, down. I, I remember that. I, I felt I felt the same way. It was, yeah. there could have been anyone up on stage that would have I felt terrible. You don't or, want someone mm-hmm. to go through that. No, it's not, everyone's like, oh, you got him. I'm like, I don't want to get someone like that. That's not a way, you don't want to physically make people Do you have any any good stories when you were interviewing Steve? Oh, Cubs? yeah, so many. Well, he didn't really, initially, I was, I literally think he didn't know my name. He did, but he did, he wanted to talk to Wald. He and Wald had a whole thing going on. You know what I mean? They had been long time. They He was Walt was someone he talked to an awful lot on the phone during for years and years before me. And so he would often look over my head. <laughs> he just did. You know, I don't think he meant it. They, I, I'm trying to think of it. It wasn't sexist. It just was he liked Walt better. And so 
I was like an annoyance to him. I could see because I would ask little pointed questions like, you know, when he was doing something naughty, like, like he, he was suing that one blog post for stealing something or other. Or, or, and I was like, would you sue us? And he's like, that's not the point. I said, yeah, you wouldn't because we're bigger and we're, that would be a problem. You know, I'd always be the annoying girl who was sort of poking at him. And so um, so he was great, he, but he was great. He was always, um, you know, he could read a phone book and be interesting. So he was, he was one of the best ones was obviously the Gates and Jobs interview that we did um, with the two of them. And that was really hard to get together. And what we did is we invited... Uh, 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 Jobs, uh, Gates for, first, because because G- Gates would have, Jobs would have come if he wanted to. Gates wanted to be on the stage with Steve. So it was like we tried to get, but once we get them both, got them both on uh, to agree, we issued a press release immediately because we didn't want either of them to pull out. To pull out, yeah. Yeah, it was like yeah. like seconds and gotcha. stuff like that. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and I think that was a great interview. And again, historically, it'll go down in, in history. And they had a, you know, right before it, Jobs, we did individual interviews with Jobs before that um, about a bunch of stuff that was happening at Apple at the time. And he insulted Gates terribly. He, he said yeah, Windows was in hell. Was he, You know, if you're, someone, Walt asked, you know, about whether... Um, you know why? Why uh, iTunes was so popular? And he said, "If you if you gave someone ice in hell, you'd be happy too." Or something. It was terrible. Yeah, it was, it was a gla- if you give someone a glass of ice water in hell, hell. they'd be happy yeah. too. Yeah. And so Jobs, of course, that Gates found out, and they had this ongoing. You know, in, I think Gates was very insecure around Jobs because Jobs got a lion's share of the attention. Yeah. And 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 Gates felt like he was known as only the world's richest man, but not the world's most innovative man. And I think he felt like he didn't get his due. Um, and it, it was hard. Steve Jobs was a star. Like, there's just no way. And they had this sort of weird, it went on for a long time. You know, it was kind of silly, but at the same time, fascinating. And so they are, you know, when they came back to stage, Gates was furious at this and was simmering. And the way he exhibits fury is quiet, like complete quiet. And he's already hard to communicate with at the time. He's better now. Um, and then Jobs came in like such an—he was like grinning from ear to ear and sort of this fuck you grin. And 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 so they—we were like, oh, this interview. And the PR people were like, oh, what a fucking mess kind of thing. And and Job Gates was monosyllabatic. You know, he just didn't say a word. No, no words. Yes, no, yes, no. And we thought, oh, this can be a terrible interview. And and while he was, they were going, we were t- trying to explain that we wanted to keep the idea big and we wanted to not talk about little things. And this was the historic. Um, at one point, Gates goes, "Well, I don't know. I run hell, right?" Like he he Whoa. referenced it, which he never did. Like, yeah, yeah. and for some reason, Jobs had a had a had a thing of water. He had a like a a, a plastic bottle of water. It was dripping condensation, and he handed it to. Gates and said, "Here, let me help you." And it broke the ice, so to speak. And and th- it was a great interview afterwards. But he still got him in the middle of the interview. He still got him because I said, "What's something you don't know about your relationship?" Um, and you know, Gates was sitting there thinking because he's a super. You know, he wants to be like historical. And jo- and Jobs just goes, "Well, for years we've been married." <laughs> and you could see every like you, people couldn't see it. I saw it up close, like all the things crossed Ga- Gates's face because he's like, "I don't want to seem homophobic," and at the same time, I'm not gay. And like, you know what I mean? You could see like, and it was, and you could see Jobs going. <laughs> you can go watch that moment because we have it on video. It's free on iTunes. He just has this shitty. <laughs> it was so funny. He did stuff like that all the time. It's really I liked him because of that. He was always making trouble. And even his last interview was amazing. He was dying. He died very soon after that last interview. And he was, you know, more energy on the stage than, um, than anybody else. And he was, he was, he was very incredibly sick. charismatic. Um, but even to the end. Yeah, completely. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. 
I personally love shaving with a razor, but for so long I stopped doing it using clippers instead because traditional razor blades were so ridiculously expensive. Then, thanks to this podcast, I discovered Harry's and I'm happily back to shaving every day again. You can get an entire shave kit from Harry's for just $13, and it's not only beautiful, but it's also less money than the price of a fancy cappuccino and cronut at one of those hipster coffee shops near you. It's also an amazing shave. Harry's offers their blades at half the price because they can sell them directly to people like us over the internet rather than having to go into stores. The only problem I have now with my Harry's razors is that my wife keeps stealing them for her legs. Anyway, Harry's is so confident you'll love their blades and their shave kit that they're going to give you a free trial today when you sign up at harrys.com slash the hive. That means you don't have to pay the $13. All you have to pay is the $3 for shipping. The free trial kit includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricant strip, rich lathering shave gel, a travel band cover. It's really great. So claim your free trial offer today from Harry's, the $13 value when you sign up. Once again, go to harrys.com slash the hive. That's harrys.com slash the hive. So when you look at, you know, let's fast forward to to now. Um, and uh, speaking of Uber and Travis mm-hmm. Kalanick, mm-hmm. um, so I've been doing this not as long as you, but mm-hmm. for over a decade. And and there, are, there, are, there is a breed of, of person, um, specifically CEOs, usually that that come to Silicon Valley, um, and in an era past, they probably would have gone to Wall Street, mm-hmm. um, and um, and they kind of embody this. Um, this part of it is, is this bullshit that they're here to make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and part of it is this hyper aggressive personality trait Mm -hmm. um is this something that you've seen over the years that's kind of crept up in in ceos until we get to the point of travis or is it something that's new um you know it's the same arrogance the arrogance is always there i think there's very few ceos that aren't i'm thinking piero midiar would be one who's just a lovely and mark zuckerberg has developed into he had a lot of arrogance i think he's tempered it he's grown up like he's grown up and he's you know he's a he's a he's a well he had a family too that changes such as that i think he knew he knew that it wasn't going to he wasn't going to be the great ceo CEO he wanted to be like, you know, whatever you think about Bill Gates, he was great. CEO. You know, he really did lead that company. He, he wanted Facebook to be a big, important company. And he knew he, he, he made the choices that would allow that to happen. And he didn't he didn't indulge in his 12 year old boy, naughty boy thing. That, yeah. And he wasn't like that to start with. But, you know, he had you remember he was quite he was quite a little like annoying for a long time. And and so I think he decided he was going to grow and change and then develop. And I think self awareness is really hard among these people because they just don't have any. Um, I think Travis is an, you don't have to like make him a, a poster boy for Silicon Valley, but he certainly is the quintessence of all all of the bad things. You know what I mean? All of the um, the things we don't like about people we cover. And you know, again, we're not their judges and juries, but uh, you know, arrogance. I think certainty past the point of believability, a constant hype. Um, a part of it's the part of it's necessary for the success of these things. But can you? But you know, I look at Travis and I think you know this is someone who is is probably one of the most. I mean, hyper aggressive yeah. CEOs I have ever yeah, encountered. I think he'd be that way in any industry. Um, can he can he change and still no. run that company? That's just I know. Every, I know. Ariana talks about he shows that redeemability. So the car, he can be redeemed. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you don't believe in redeeming? I go, not really, not particularly, not in this case because he's older. I mean, he's already well past the age where you do change. And maybe people have moments of of uh, 
clarity and then begin to become self-aware. But I've never, I think he has no self-awareness. I uh, recently, you know, people, he keeps saying, I'm sorry, but then later people tell me he's saying the same things behind the scenes. So, you know, I think, uh, I don't know what's going on with him. And he certainly just experienced a terrible loss with his mom, who was terrific. Um, I met his parents uh, for a piece I was doing for Vanity Fair. Uh, So maybe... Maybe that will prompt him to contemplate himself. And, and to, he, he talked about doing Travis 2.0 at this point. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think that the company is savable? Yes, the company is. I don't know if he is. But isn't it part of – I mean this is – you know, I've, I've gotten into this discussion with, with other folks about the the reason that, that, um, that Uber became Uber was mm-hmm. because they had this hyper-aggressive um, – Yeah, but for now, for then, you know, for then, lots of companies have grown up without it. Without without having the hyper-aggressiveness. I think, you know, there's a lot. I mean, look, Gates was hyper-aggressive. Like, I'm trying to think of a comparable to Travis, and it would be Gates, would right, be Gates in, the in the early, early days. days. Yeah. yeah, very aggressive man and, and changed, obviously changed. And, and he took it to the point of disaster for that company, you know, to the, the monopoly, the, the anti-monopoly trial, mm. which is absolutely related to his personality. He, I remember him early. Like, I don't need to talk to policymakers. I can do whatever I want. He made idle So this threats. is not something that's new to Silicon Valley? No, I think he was unusual for Silicon Valley. I don't think everybody was like Gates. So there have been aggressive, hyper-aggressive people at all costs, you know, thuggish, I guess you could use the term. Uh, you know, in its own way, Google is thuggish. You know yeah. what I mean? They just they just have a presentation that's a little better, but they're pretty aggressive. Um, you know, Mark is very aggressive. I think what it is is with with, with Travis and company, and it's not just him, but no, I, I put not. him at the top. So that's you know he, he's attracted a kind of executive that they don't just get thuggish in business; they get thuggish personally. And so I think that, and I don't use that term lightly. I think it's. Like the stuff you're seeing out of that company, if it's if it's this way on the outside, imagine the inside. And I think Susan Fowler finally put to words the problems. And and in her piece, which people focus on the sexism, sexual harassment, which absolutely needs to be focused on. But to me, that was a story of corporate malfeasance, really. You know what I mean? The reason that stuff was allowed to thrive, and it's like mold, sexism and sexual harassment, was because there weren't corporate systems in a place of mature people that could create a company and underpinnings of a company that would create it. So it's a corporate disaster, really, at the heart that created the sexual harassment and sexism issues, I think. I don't think, you know, I think if, if, if there's always, there's sexual harassment at every company I've covered, every one of them, and there's sexism at every single company um, in varying degrees. But it certainly isn't widely accepted. The partying culture is not widely accepted. Well, it's also certainly, I can't ima- I cannot think of a company I've ever covered in history where the CEO is sending the emails that that you oh, guys yeah. Yeah. covered. We had that memo recently. Um, yeah. I can't believe nobody ever found that. I just heard about it and then went and got it like in three hours. <laughs> it was funny. Well, so that's, that leads me to the next question. Yeah. So, so you, you've been doing this a long time. Yeah. And, grizzled um, veteran. And a grizzled veteran. I wish I had a beard like yours. You could get one. No, I could. We could that's, figure it out. That's it's probably a startup menopause, in Silicon Valley. After menopause. That's working that's, on beards that, well, for I'll women. have a nice, my grandmother had whiskers, so I'm sure I'll get them. <laughs> You had them tasered off, or whatever. Um, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll I'll do some reporting and see what whiskers. I can find out. Whiskers. I want for some you. whiskers. W- women whiskers. Yeah. We could start this company together. You know, um, anything's possible. I'll be, I'll be the CEO, uh, the sexist CEO. Um, 
So uh, I, I was on my way here to, 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 to interview you this morning mm-hmm. and, uh, and you had to stop at a cafe to, to write a story real mm-hmm. quick. What, what is it that drives you to still cover this, this industry with the veracity that you do? Yeah, I really do. I have to say, it's really kind of, I was thinking about that. Um, you know, when I, this Uber thing, I just, I love the story. I'm a reporter at heart. You know what I mean? I've, I've grown into other things and there's a certain level of Fame with the interviews and things like that in tech. Believe me, this is famous in tech, not famous anywhere else. Like if I'm in Austin or here, it's fantastic. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, Kara, and I'm like, really. Um, but I am more interested, as I always have been, in the reporting. I've always been a really good reporter, and I'm really interested in the dichotomy between what people say and what's really happening. I'm really interested in um, in finding out. I just love the hunt of the. I love the hunt of a story, and I, you know, I I think people know this, but I really wanted to be a CIA agent. I really did want to be an an, an analyst in the CIA. I'm, I'm super patriotic. People don't think of me as that way, but I wanted to join the military. I was gay. I could not at the time because I'm so old. We did not the gays weren't allowed in the military. Um, and so my dad was in the military, and so I was interested in doing some sort of military intelligence or or CIA or something like that. I'm really interested in. in um, I studied uh, at Columbia Journalism School. I my thesis was on propaganda. Um, so I'm very interested in those topics. So, so you wanted to be the, is it Carrie? Well, Carrie. I wanted to be Carrie without the bipolar. <laughs> I <always> say, <laughs> no bipolar. And not sleeping with the men. No, no, of course not. No. Uh, um, she's pretty wild, isn't she? She's a great character. She crosses um, a lot of lines. And so that's, so for you, it's, it's still about the story. It's still yes. about the. Yeah. I'm interested in getting to the real story. And believe me, I don't think I do it all the time. I think I get pieces of it. I think I get more pieces than other people. And at some point it flipped over into people just tell me, cause they're like, she's going to find it. <laughs> like, like at one point during this, they're like, oh, here, <laughs> like, oh, here. Like, you know, I, right now I'm really interested in getting the, the holder report. I'm going to get it. I'm like, it's in my head this week. I like, how can I like, so I sit there and try to figure how I can get my hands on it and who has it. How I can get them to give it to me? How I I'm really obsessed with getting the Holder report. So you're you're, you're the CIA uh, analyst for for Silicon Valley. Yeah, I could be in the CIA. You know, you people don't know. I could have like this you could, could be the biggest be a cover. CIA agent. This could be the biggest cover in history. What could've... would who would you be going after? Ah, Mark oh, just, Zuckerberg. Just stunning all of it. Like just getting in. in no, I'm not a CIA agent. I'm just going to start on some Breitbart thing. But um, but uh, it's uh, I've actually been. I honestly swear I was accused um, by a right wing. Uh, site of being an undercover CIA agent oh, recently really? from my book. Why? Oh, because, yeah, you wrote about that. That's, yeah, sure. Yeah. You're you're down in the net. I never covered any of that. That must be real hard to cover. The what? The, the what dark were web stuff. Yeah, the dark and, yeah. web. I'm not. I don't have any knowledge. It's all the same personalities. Is it? Yeah, it's, it's all. But weirder. Weird, weirder because it's illegal, but, you know, the CEO of, of Uber, Travis, it's the same exact personality mm-hmm. as Ross Albrecht, who started the Silk Road. Right. They quote the same Ayn Rand quotes. They yeah. read the same libertarian books. And but I think Travis is different. I think we, I think to, you don't want to impugn all Silicon Valley with the behaviors of that company. I think it's, I, and I don't think they have okay, to be but, that way to be innovative. I don't think they they can be aggressive, but it has moved into toxicity. That's really, I mean, just the story we broke about the and now the Indian uh, woman is suing Uber. Thank, good for her. Um, we wrote a story about the medical records. They had the medical records yeah. of a woman who'd been raped who was a customer. Um, they obviously had allowed this driver to get in there somehow. Although I don't know how that happened. We haven't. I'm not in India, so I can't do that reporting. Um, and, uh, and but they were carrying around one of the executives who works for Travis was a pretty high ranking ran, ran Asia was carrying around the files her medical files about the rape for a lot of years, and in doing so they started to speculate on whether she was actually raped and whether uh, and whether it was a plot by Ola and all this stuff and. It, 
getting aside from the fact of that craziness, they shouldn't have had the medical records. And so to me, nobody cried. I don't know. I would be surprised that any executive I know would do that. Like, I, I can't believe someone would cross that line and not say, what are you doing with those? Why do you, I mean, I, ta- I talked to a dozen different CEOs. I said, would you do that? What would you do if you got this? And they were like, we would never, ever. Yeah, we'd give them to the well, law. And the, and, the, and the problem is, is that, that is, is it, goes to, it goes from the top. He was the one doing it. Like, yeah. that was the thing. And so what was interesting is that what, what, what does it take to, in your mind to think that's okay? The same thing with that memo on a, on a lesser level. I mean, to, st- to have those records is just, I just, I don't know how anybody in their right mind who lives in civil society would have them in their possession and not, and not realize it was wrong. And then you go to this sort of the sillier element, which is these memos, which he's talking about. He's not just talking about don't have sex, which is like, or don't have sex. He doesn't say don't have sex. He says don't don't have have sex sex with your direct reports. reports. Right. Why is a CEO doling out sex information? One. And then I think what most people didn't notice was I can't have sex with anyone because I'm the CEO because everybody's his direct report. I can't have sex with them CEO. And then hashtag FML. Fuck my life. life. Meaning, I mean, Casey Newton, who works here at The Verge at Vox Media was like, you know, someone's like, what's wrong with that? That's good advice. And they're like, he's like, He's a CEO lamenting he can't have sex with of a billion-dollar company. Before we move on to 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 what what's next for you, how, one of the questions I, I mean, for me, you know, I covered Silicon Valley for a long time, and there were points you where I got this. to it, and I was just like, these people fucking suck. Yeah, like they are. I mean, it's true. Like they're going around saying like I'm here to make the world a better place, mm-hmm. and they're making photo filter apps and right. and and doing things like. The sexist stuff like Uber and mm-hmm. and blah 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 blah, and there was a point where I was like, I can't, I just can't deal anymore. Well, you don't want to think Uber represents all of it. Like, I, I, I know, I'm not what just saying Uber. There are right. other, sure. there are a lot of yes, other. Yes, they have good self regard for their how have minor. You not, how have you not just been like, ugh? Because I think on the because a lot of them are minor inventions. You're right. Who cares about a photo app in the in a long history? Where we're coming into is. In a st- First of all, the internet's astonishing, no matter how you slice it. So I, every day I think, wow, this is amazing that people can do this. Just because we use it for stupid purposes doesn't mean it's still not astonishing. Um, it, it's sort of like air travel. I mean, it feels like a horror show now, but it's still astonishing yeah, it's that you can fly across yeah. the country in two seconds. Um, or not two seconds, but quickly. Um, so I think what I try to do is say th- these these technologies are changing the way humanity is. Now, I think what's happening now, and if you're talking about the future, is they're starting to focus on things that are... I, I had a quote from someone, uh, Pejman Nozad, who had the rug, the investor who owns the rug store in Palo Alto. And he said that Silicon Valley, it's a lot of um, smart, uh, uh, big, uh, smart people chasing small ideas, like really mm-hmm. smart people, something like that. And, and I think I agree with that. And, but now there's a lot of big ideas around healthcare, around, around transportation, self-driving cars, all that kind of stuff, around uh, climate, around food. Now we're getting into the big stuff, the really imp- things that really impacted. And one of the things I want to do to have an impact is to begin to get people, to, people here to realize that they now have a responsibility, a social responsibility, a civic responsibility about what happens to these inventions. Because say we have self, just pick one, automation, robotics, any of those three, for example. Big, hot, AI, all of those, all together, the the four horsemen, essentially. Um, Every one of those is going to have massive impact on culture, like on our society in terms of jobs, for one. Absolutely. It's the thing I'm riveted to. Automation, robotics. Completely agree. 
whose responsibility is that when these jobs get eliminated? What who gets who get who gets the hot potato on this one? Is it politics? Is it government? Is it the people who invented it? And I think that's the big question. And it's one thing we talked about at the code conference, which we had just a couple of weeks ago. Mark Andreessen and I had a back and forth about it because he was saying, you know, on the whole, with all these things, automation, robotics, blah, blah, blah. it's sort of like the farming to manufacturing economy. There were more jobs than ever when once the turn was made and i'm concerned about the turn but but here's the big difference he doesn't which, care about here's the, turn. the thing that mark doesn't care about and doesn't acknowledge is mm-hmm. is the the turn between from the manufacturing yeah. took 80 years and the a tur- lot of suffering yeah but 80 years it right. did not it didn't happen with right. the speed and veracity with which right. the turn to automation and driverless cars is going to happen mm-hmm. within a 5 to 10 year period right. or even sooner right. and and i think that it's it's uh, it is this is i mean this is one of my big frustrations with with technology is that the people creating it aren't acknowledging that. And it's, well, it's, yeah. they're not sitting back and thinking like, okay, well, how is this going to affect people? And is it our responsibility? Well, it's the, are there platforms benign? I think Mark Zuckerberg is a perfect example. It's like when he, the, the election stuff, there is some impact here. And it's not a minimal impact on what happened on Facebook and the election. There just is. It's just, it's a very bright line of what happened there. They could have had the tools in place to stop it. They, they have spam tools. They have all kinds of things. And I know it's hard. I, I, I listen to them all day how hard it is. But they, of course, they, they're they so smart. They brag about how smart they are. They did not anticipate that. They did not. They made money off of it. They didn't do anything about it. And so Mark started with a, hey, we have no responsibility. And we didn't really do it. It was minimal. This, the second one was, it was minimal. The third one is, hey, wait, that big giant essay he wrote. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe there is more social responsibility that we have and we have a duty to do something. His platform has enormous impact. He has to acknowledge, he ha- and he has been, I have to say, which is why I like Mark. Not enough for me. I, and I don't want him to like wear a hair shirt and beat himself with nettles. Like, you know what I mean? But I do want that would him. That be pretty fun to Yeah, watch. I know. No, he wouldn't do it. Um, he might. That's a year-long project, one of his yeah. projects. Like, I think this year I'll do pain. Um it, I think he needs to acknowledge, and so do they all, that their inventions have impact. Their social platforms aren't benign. They're weaponized. Um, What does that mean and what could they do? From everything as small as Facebook Live, which they just didn't – they did anticipate that there would be problems on it. They didn't put the tools in place to stop it. Um, they just wanted to. They're they're so excited about putting out whatever invention. Oh yeah, it's the move fast and break things and and and. More, well, they broke things. Now yeah, what? well they broke everything. Right, and so now what? They broke media. They broke the media business. Now you know we're lucky that Jeff Bezos bought. Uh, who I really do. I know Jeff has his critics, but I admire what he's doing. I think he's incredibly smart. Yeah, he's know. always he's a very difficult personality. Yeah. He's not like this. You know the laughing. Joker that every that he has the personality, but he's really to me. I think he's being. It's a fascinating. What he's doing is really fascinating. Although he's decimating retail. Speaking of which, like the, all those jobs, like if he starts to automate those stores and prime. Well, and, I mean, he, look what he did to the publishing industry. Right. I'm just saying he's. Everybody has their decimation, and what's happening is people are getting outsized amounts of money, and 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 the and the benefit from it. And so, what is what what is their responsibility to give back? And if not, what is the result of government we get? And voters we get when we have such a, a big issue around uh, society in a, in tumult. So you've said that you want to run for mm-hmm. mayor. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. At some point, when is that? Uh, soon. Is that and I'm is that sure. is is that a direct? I'm result just focusing of, on that now. Is that a direct result of? Um, can I be your press secretary? Yes, of course. Oh, thank well, you. Well, I think much. Shannon Stubel wants that job. But all right. I. Uh, I can I can be the spicy. I can be your spicy. <laughs> I just, just want to get badly thrown out of office. I think that's uh, how it's going to end. And uh, not tears for me. It'll make me laugh. You'll but. be impeached. Mm-hmm. 
for connections to the Russians. Um, so, uh, is, is, um, is that a direct result of, of your thoughts on the things that you just mentioned? Um, no, I think I'm very, I just don't think I'm civically involved. It makes me think about that. I mean, I wanted to be in the military. I did. I really think it's, I think a lot of the military, I know it has its problems, but I have, I think a lot about public service and I, I think it's maybe a frustrated version of that. I think that, I think that when I see things happening and you spend all your life sort of tisk-tisking people in print or whatever it is, publishing, um, at some point you're like, okay, I got to stop complaining and do something and maybe make mistakes too. And so I, you know, I, I did that by stepping out of journalism and creating a company. I mean, you can't accuse me or Walt of not being in business. We tried something different. And so we, so often when I used to cover people like, oh, you try to run a business. I'm like, I did. Like they can't give me, they can't come at me and, and we did pretty well. Um, but I think you, when you complain about the way things are, like I walk down Market Street, I walk to work a lot of the times, and, you know, there's crap on the streets, there's homelessness, there's filthy. And you sit around and complain, you have a responsibility to do something about it. Like there's, and so do the tech leaders. And by the way, I want to, I, I think I'm uniquely positioned to drive them crazy and get them involved, like make them understand their, their duty, their civic duty to the city of San Francisco, at least, in, in a very small way. It's a real small way to contribute, but it seems like, you know, I think our politics, look, I, I can't stand Donald Trump. I obviously can't stand Donald Trump. But I do think he is tapping into a feeling that people have of frustration and anger at the system. And and I don't think that's, that's idle. I know people do. I hate the system. But there is a sense of that there's the divisiveness has gotten so ridiculous. And I'm I, you can accuse me of it, too. But there is some place where you have to at least come together and come up with solutions for the basic things people want. Because people don't go to – like, I, I just interviewed Kamala Harris. I think she was right when she said people don't go to sleep at night and just talk about Jeff Sessions. Oh, God. Like, you know, I do. But, you know, they think about their kids. They think about getting the kids educated. They think about their health and the health of their parents and their children. They think about their jobs. And so we have to we have to really start addressing those needs um, in ways that aren't cynical or – I got mine or something like that. And I, again, in San Francisco, you have a real problem because you've got a really militant left and, a, and, a, and a, you know, the business, it's just, there's no, there's no one speaking for most people, it seems like. But the, the, and I, I think Thank it's, it's admirable and I'm excited and I'll vote for you even as your press you, secretary. You live in Los Angeles. I'll move back just to right, vote okay. for you uh, for an hour. Do um, not do fake voting. Uh, I do um, not advocate fake voting. <laughs> Um, it's one of my platforms. That's your platform? Great. Yeah. See, we've got something I can mm -hmm. speak to the press about. Mm -hmm. This is Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Okay, podcast listeners, are you looking for a new financial podcast that tackles the hard-hitting money and investing questions without the financial jargon? Then tune in to Jill Schlesinger's podcast, Better Off. Jill interviews informative and entertaining guests each week to uncover amazing investing insights and to give you actionable information to make the most of your money. But she does it in a way that isn't boring or confusing, but rather fun and informative. For example, her recent episode features an interview with Michael Lewis, the best-selling author, and my colleague at Vanity Fair. You will definitely recognize Michael's work. He's the author of Moneyball, The Blind Side, The Big Short, and a bunch of other books that all became movies. I'm a huge fan of Michael's and always read his latest investigative books. In his sit-down with Jill, Michael focuses on his latest book, The Undoing Project, which explores how a friendship did away with the assumptions about decision-making processes of the human mind and led to the creation of a field of behavioral economics, which in turn revolutionized big data, advanced evidence-based medicine, and led to new approaches in government regulation. Pretty impressive for one podcast. Be sure to check out Michael Lewis on Better Off with Jill Schlesinger wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. Politics 
is a incredibly uh, slow process. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, uh, incredibly difficult, mired in bureaucracy. Um, and there are people that would say, well, the best way to solve those problems is through technology. Sure. So why not so do that? Well, I'm not a technologist. So I know a lot about technology. Uh, you know, I think, the, I think the power right now, it's really interesting. I was just having this discussion with someone. The safest place to be in is a big, cor- big tolerant corporation these days. Like you work for Apple, you're protected on trans issues and healthcare, all kinds of things. You're not protected by your government. Like who knows what's going on? Every time they hear that, imbecile does an executive order. It's like, you know what? Now we don't have this. We used to have this. And so you're really, corporations to me have an enormous, sure, I could run a big corporation, but it doesn't look like I'm going to be founding Facebook anytime in the the years I have left. And so it seems as if, you know, I I doubt I will win. Like, let's be honest. Like, I'm not well known. Come on, you can't say that. No, you got it. You can't, you got to go into this. I will be an interesting, all right, I'm going to win. It's going to be great. Um, But uh, there is a system in place, but I do think there's an opening for people who are sensibly talking to voters and saying, I'm going to try to fix this. I'm going to try to at least put a dent in it. And and I think one of the things I do get from Silicon Valley, which is a good thing, which is why are we doing things the way we always did them? Yeah. Like I, and that is a, the greatest part of Silicon Valley is why are cars? Why do we take taxis? Why do we put up with this shit? Like why are, why do we why do we get airline tickets this way? Why do we? Like all, there's, you could go. No, they, it's a, it's the best part of, of Silicon Valley. Right. I don't Music. Sound, I don't Why do we get to, an album? To sound super negative on it all mm-hmm. the time. Um, no, I get it. Uh, it's just difficult when you've been covering things like Uber and. What don't you like the most? I'm just curious. Well, here's the thing I do like is the thing that you just said. Um, uh, the thing that you said is that it is incredibly admirable that people look at the system and it's a system that our parents and mm-hmm. their parents created and they look at it and they say, well, this is broken mm-hmm. and here's a way to fix it. Right. The problem I think is um is that that there are f- too few people who are fixing important parts right. of the system. And right. that's the part that to me was so frustrating. I remember coming out to Silicon Valley and covering it even before I lived here. Um uh, and I love how you just turned this interview around back I'm on curious. me. <laughs> I'm just curious. It's, um, it's interesting. I, no, I remember coming out here and being enamored with it. I remember I was at the New York Times. Yeah, you were. And, and you I were would, a techie yourself, too. Yeah, I was a techie, too. You, I mean, I started off doing skills, tech stuff and um, got a couple of patents and things like that for some things we did. But but I remember being at the Times and um, and and writing public defenses for Silicon Valley to the editors of the New York Times. I yeah. got into a debate with Bill Keller about the oh. benefits of Twitter and so on and so forth. But then I fast forward and I, I got into debates with folks at The New Yorker, all publicly at The mm-hmm. New York Times in my columns and so mm-hmm. on. And then I, one time after another after another saw the, um, the lack of awareness or even – foresight no. into the ethical and moral dilemmas that would come from these no, technologies. Which is why we're here, right? Which is why we're here. You know, I think we had a real impact on tech talking out about immigration. I think I chastised them. I gave them a hard time. I have an impact on them. I think they care about what I said. I think on the Uber stuff, look, I think us in the New York Times and a couple of other publications, and I think I would say us in the New York Times, is the reason why he had to sort of leave. Like, he, like what it didn't stop him when he did this, 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 and this. And I think our India coverage and Mike's, Mike Isaacs, who worked at Recodes, grayballing coverage is like enough. Yeah. Like, I think we do, Without like, question. just like with the, with the New York Times and the Washington Post around Trump, like, you may think all is lost, but they're just going, like, they're just doing their job. And I think we have someone around the Bonderman stuff. I think we were like, he's got to resign. Like we have a real, I think we have a real, not a big impact, but we definitely. No, I think that it's a bigger impact 
I think it matters. Yeah. I think what we do matters. And we're actually, I think we, and in the case of Uber, let me just tell you, I ran into someone the other day. They're like, okay, good. Now it's done. I'm like, no, no, I'm not done even. I'm even not slightly done with you all. <laughs> like, like, are you kidding me? Like, you're not, you're not going to be done until you put in place systems that protect drivers, customers. You know, you want to build a business in this town, you're going to build it the right way. And they can try to take as many shortcuts as they want. And I, I'm fine with all kinds of shortcuts that do not are not illegal and aren't ethically demented, which so many of these are, the way they treat drivers. I was with the driver yesterday who was telling me things that were just like, I don't do my reporting from drivers and Ubers. I mean, that's just anecdotal. But, you know, they have to build a company that they should, that you would be proud of, like that you might be proud of. So. And, and that you would be proud to use as a customer. Yeah, exactly. Which, and it's just car driving. Like, look, I'm not changing, like, I'm not solving cancer, but you know what? They're not, they shall not do this. But they shall not abuse women in the office. They, it must stop. But and it's it also, will stop. it's also, as history tells us, it's just car driving now, but in the future, yeah. driverless cars could be weapons. Absolutely. They Same could, thing with know, Google. They must not spy. Yeah. You must not. And yeah. I, look, it, Eventually, maybe they'll win, but at least someone like it's not like the not like it, it's just that reporters at their very best are saying this will not stand. I will keep saying something until you either change or I die, like one or the other, like kind of thing. So, so we only have a few minutes left. So, okay. I, I want to ask you a few, a few sure. just random questions. Sure. Um, what's your favorite story you've ever done? Mm, that's a good. My stories about the family in Washington. I love those um, about the half family. It was, I wrote it like it was. I really learned during those stories to write about um, a business as a narrative, as a story, as a as a fictional narrative. You know, like I wrote it like it was uh, Shakespeare. So I like that story. It was a, it was a family that came apart personally, and I really you, I think, as I a result of the. Of the, they uh, fought with each other. It was very King Lear. It was a very King Lear story about a about a family business. I think it really depicted what actually happened. So I was proud of that. I think some of our coverage of um, I think it's the Uber stuff has been strong. I think some of my essays have been real good. Like when I when I chastised you, Silicon Valley you, what about, about immigration. Oh, you know, she just was an incompetent CEO. Yes, I think I did. I did. I did. Like, you know, everybody's so falling in love. It's the same CEO worship as, you know, that they do here. And it offends me when someone makes spends shareholder money in that manner and then gets touted for it. Who's your uh, favorite interview? Oh, Other I than Jobs. Me. You, Jobs. Oh, my, that I've done? Well, you, I like everybody. I like, I like. You got to pick one. Oh, my goodness. I like Manor with Jamoth. The VC, I'm not going to pronounce his last name. He's really funny. Yeah, he makes me laugh. Um, I like James Corden. I thought, um, you know, I'd like I, Hillary Clinton. I just like, I like the last one I did. Hillary Clinton, I thought Cecile Richards was amazing. Um, I think I have so much admiration for her. She's the head of Planned Parenthood, the daughter of Ann Richards, which most people don't know. Um, and uh, I thought the Hillary one was fantastic. The Obama one was challenging. It was interesting. Um, all kinds of, I like them all. I like, I really literally like them all. I do. So if you all my little interview children, just um, so if you, what's what's your uh, what's your media diet? Do you wake up in the morning? What's what's your day like? What give us a, like a, um, a I have a beautiful house forty I live character. In. Um, I have uh, I look at Twitter right away. I think I look at Twitter not for myself, but just the stories, what's trending and stuff like that. I that's the first place I access information. Uh, we use Slack, so I find out what we're working on. Um, that I consider that media. Do you still read books? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm, I listen to them. I listen to them. I'm listening to Joan Didion's the the, the one about everything. I'm listening to David Sedaris a lot lately. Um, he has a new book out which I haven't read, but I'm looking at his old books. I recently started listening to Nora Ephron. She reads all her books. I love Nora Ephron. She, I don't know if she gets the due she gets as a good, She's beautiful fantastic. writer. Um, and she, she's someone I knew and really admired. And she loved technology. She used to call me all the time and ask me about tech things. I uh, I read the New York Times religiously. I think it's an amazing paper in um, print. No. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I haven't touched a print newspaper no. since the 80s or the 90s. Um, no, uh, 2000s. Um, I don't read print anymore at all. I don't read. I can't even pick up a magazine. I read everything online. Um, I, uh, I read uh, the Washington Post. Darkness, demo, democracy dies in darkness. If I have to see that one more time, but I love it. Um, I read Politico. I like. I'm a. I'm suddenly got an interest in politics. Do you obviously. listen to podcasts? Yeah, I read a lot of them. All kinds, different uh, ones. Other than People inside the hive. I listen. I have to listen to you. I have not listened to them, oh but God, I, I haven't Kara. been on a drive lately. I, haven't, I will do them on my drive when I come to Los Angeles to visit you. Um, I'm going to Hearst Castle with my kids. So, um, great. to look at that, what, what a great story that was. I'd love, love to cover him like that. I still yeah. find that fascinating. All the dysfunction and personal wealth. Really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm listening to, oh God, all kind. I'm, I'm, I'm reading Hamilton, the book, the book about Hamilton by Ron Chernow. It's taken me 17 years to read it, but I find that a wonderful thing. Um, I read, uh, I read Vanity Fair. I read, um, great magazine. I read individual stories more than anything. Yeah. That's what I do. Well, I don't read. Old. Yeah. I read individual stories. Um, and Twitter does, I have to say a lot. I don't use Facebook very much. I find it I find like I waste my time in Facebook. I feel that so, way about most social media. But I like days. Twitter. I like to, Twitter's gotten weaponized. It sort of, it drags you down, but I do find really great stories. I do. There's no, I do. My friends are good tweeters and they give me good advice to read. So I liked, I don't, I don't like to shit on Twitter as much as I, I usually do. As a business, it's horrible, but I love it as a medium. As a product. Um, so last question, which I ask everyone on this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, if you could go back in time 20 years mm -hmm. and give your younger Try self. Try 30. <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's do 20 for, for this one, <laughs> just to keep with the branding. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can go back 20 years and give your younger self some advice, what would it be? None. I think I've done a very good job. I think I've timed my career beautifully. <laughs> just do what you Okay, did. if you could go back and give <laughs> a younger a younger Kara Swisher from in twenty who in twenty years will be Kara Swisher. I know. I'm, I'm supposed to like say, oh, I didn't know this, but I think I really was pretty savvy. At a young, I really understood a career to arc. Um, probably, you know, no, I was difficult around sexism then. I was difficult then. I think I would have been more. Uh, I was out, so I don't feel like I did anything wrong in that department. I would have had more children. Have more children. Have more children. I wish I had gotten pregnant again. I love being pregnant. And I should, that's the, I have to say, someone asked me regrets. I'm like, I don't have any. And they're like, you're supposed to. Like, I'm like, well, don't like shame me into having regrets. But I think if I wanted to, um, I would have had another child. I would have had, liked to have a little girl who would have been older now. But um, I wish I had four children. I have two wonderful boys. You uh, can borrow my two if you want. <laughs> I'll babysit for you and let you and your wife go out. Yeah. I love, uh, I wish I had, I wish I want, I would like to have more children. I would, I would have liked to have more children. I would like to have more children. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Thanks a lot. Thank you to my guest today, Kara Swisher. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Digital Media for their production work and my editors at Vanity Fair. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Harry's and Better Off. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I'll see you next week. And please don't forget to reply to us on Twitter and give us your feedback. Thanks so much. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. <laughs> but whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. 
Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.